So, Russell, we talked last time how I do have a pet peeve, just like many of my other pet peeves that I whine about, that I don't like Christian artists who are compared to a secular artist as a way to sell them. And But here we are again. We're back here with We're part two of the KJ. Such an interesting well, figure. Well, the Dear Slim stuff kind of dominated the first KJ52 episode. And... There's more to KJ52 than just that. There's more stories that we kind of started to touch on, but really there's some that we really want to talk about. You brought up Bill Cosby last time. Yeah, we ended we, the, <laughs> that was just kind of thrown in there. We ended with a Bill Cosby song he's done. I, I think KJ would appreciate that. We're talking about his other artistic works and his, right. you know, memoir. In, instead of just repeating the same old, he's like Christian Eminem. You know, we're, we're trying to do him a favor here and say there is more to KJ52 than just Dear Slim. I'm not going to promise that Eminem won't come up because he will. The Bill Cosby song is about when he actually met Bill Cosby. I just think it's really funny because in the book, he re- reiterates all the time. He's like, this was before his current legal troubles. And it's like, no, this is before he got caught. He was yeah. still doing that stuff. He's been like, doing that stuff for decades. <laughs> before we get to that, though, you were looking over his audiobook and you're like, he has a chapter called I Almost Became Mormon. We didn't talk about that in the first episode, but it is important for me because how I learned about KJ52 was back when I was Mormon, because KJ had a huge Mormon following. For whatever reason, KJ was big in the Mormon community. He talks in his book about touring through Idaho, uh, and we'll talk about his Northwest tour in a little bit, but in this book, he talks about how he almost became a Mormon. Buckle up for this story. He, He had just gotten saved. He's like 15 years old, but he doesn't know much about God. He believes in God, but he doesn't know that much about it. And he doesn't own a Bible. And he can't get his hands on a Bible. I have a and, pro- I have a life hack how to get your hands on a Bible. Go to literally any Motel 6 um, church. Yeah, I'm I don't think they're going to prohibit you if you come in earnest and say I would like to read the Bible, you can get your hands on one. They also sell them at every dollar store for a dollar. Oh, no way. Um, but KJ, for KJ, it was really hard to get a Bible. And he said he was watching TV and he saw a commercial uh, from the LDS Church saying that they want to send him this book for free that's a companion to the Bible, the Book of Mormon. That sounds good. So, so he called and he got one. And he's reading it. And he's reading the scripture. He gets to uh, the part where God turns, he he changes it, he gets it wrong, and he's telling the story, but the part he's talking about is when God changes the skin of the Lamanites to distinguish them Mm -hmm. from the white people, and he makes them dark as a punishment, and KJ said he just couldn't accept that God would do that, and to him that that's what was the line, and that's what prevented him from becoming a Mormon. Let's be clear, though, this title is very misleading. KJ never went to a Mormon church. Again, I really think that what this, what this is about is he needs to throw a bone for his Mormon friends and he needs to like maybe make an effort to kind of minister to him and explain his Mormon following to his fans because there was a rumor that KJ was Mormon because 
of how many Mormon fans he had. So I think that this is a way to like give a nod to his fans that are Mormon and be like, I'm not Mormon <laughs> to his Christian fans. So the bear with me. I don't want to get this wrong. I did. There is, I don't want to say infamous. There's a well-known Mormon animation that I actually saw in school and it does um, portray Mormonism in kind of a, negative light it says you know oh hmm. you know here's all these crazy things they believe the prophet the leader of the church receives visions and that changes church doctrine it okay. doesn't re rewrite what happened it's just gotcha. a new See. revelation okay. and spencer w kimball who was the prophet in the 70s after the supreme court was like you gotta stop discriminating once the supreme court did that all of a sudden god spoke to spencer w kimball uh, similar to when God spoke to Brigham Young and said polygamy was wrong mm -hmm. after he had married like 60 women. <laughs> so KJ almost became a Mormon because he ordered a book of Mormon and read it and said it wasn't for him. You want to talk about how KJ got discovered? Yes. In his book, he has a chapter called How I Was Discovered. And he talks about how, I know, right? Yeah, like, and, he doesn't even, he, does, he always just gets straight to the point. It's not just it like, he doesn't entitle, he doesn't title the chapter, like my religious discovery. It's just like how I almost became Mormon, how I got discovered, <laughs> call him the racist dog. You know what though? I appreciate it. I really do. He gets like, straight he, to the point. He was working as a youth pastor for a church and trying to get his hip hop career going. And so he cut this demo and he started sending it off to all these labels and he sent it to Goatee Records. And Goatee is Toby Mac's label. It's a refresher to the audience. Months go by, gets a call. Todd Collins, one of the three founders of Goatee Records, had heard his demo and was interested in signing him. Todd was walking by some assistant's little cubicle and heard him play in this demo and like grabbed it and went and listened to it and listened to it in his car and just loved it. Ty Collins says, we're interested in signing you and starts putting them through it. And KJ thinks all my work is coming. This is the Lord's work. Month goes by, two months goes by, three months goes by, six months go by. Hasn't gotten a deal. Todd calls him up and says, we're going with a different artist. Apparently there was one spot, right? And he did get signed by an, a label called Elemental shortly after that. That is when he went on tour to the Pacific Northwest. That's our lovely hometown. He came on this tour to Idaho, Oregon, and Washington, where these Christian punk rock groups and him, and they would pull up to skate parks and they would set up and do free shows at these skate parks. And this is the tour that he was on. And his wife came with him and his wife and him would stay in like a guest room at a host's house he said in Idaho at the beginning of the trip, he felt good. People were coming out. A bunch of Mormon kids would come out. Uh, a couple of them got saved. Positive experience for him. Move on. He goes to Oregon. He says he didn't know how unchurch Oregon was. I will interject that when when I think Oregon, you know, we're thinking Portland. We're thinking right. Antifa. We're thinking liberals, all that fun stuff. And, and that's where KJ was. He was doing shows in Portland. And he was doing a show at a, a Portland skate park. Some punk skater took offense to his message and tried to attack him with a skateboard. And these other, like, believer skaters 
we're, we're not going to let that happen. And they jump in and they were fighting and a little bit of a scuffle broke out. I, I mean, uh, I'd say it's pretty scummy, no matter what you believe, to just like go up and try to attack the guy. The kid that attacked him also has a perspective here. I don't know. I, I've never met him, but I'm just saying his perspective is he goes to the skate park all the time, does his thing. And as like a, a punk kid, that would piss you off, you know, yeah. like... That being said, KJ decides, decided from that point on he had to change his approach. That this was not the welcoming crowd that he knew back in Florida. So he started going early, handing out his music and playing his music for people at the skate park and having fun and, you know, joshing with them and getting the vibe going so that he could play and not have those kind of interactions. But as the tour went on and he got to Seattle... He was getting real burned out. He plays his first show in Seattle, and almost every person there was homeless. What year was this? Uh, this would have been 1998, 99. Oh, things have not changed. So his first show, there's a bunch of homeless kids, and then there's one guy standing far away wearing these, like, robes and had, like, a staff. He kept moving his arm with the staff and saying something that KJ couldn't hear throughout the entire show. After the show, a couple of kids came up and said, hey, we like your show. We want to hear your message. And KJ is like, well, let me ask you one thing. What's the deal with that guy with the robes? And they, and they go, oh, he's a warlock. He's been trying to cast an incantation on you. But it didn't work. You had a great show. The Lord must be on your side. This is a moment on his tour that he's like, man, shit's really different out here on the West Coast. So <laughs> Then again, if I went to Florida, I'd be like, what the hell is going on here? So, so it works both ways. So he, he keeps playing these shows. He's getting really burnt out. It seems like the same, a couple kids are getting saved every night. <laughs> it's like you the know? same group. They're like, I got, it's like, didn't you just get saved last night, buddy? So near the end of the tour, a couple of kids come out after the show and they want to be saved, right? He does the altar call and they come up. KJ says he's thinking these, these guys, they probably get saved every time there's a Christian show in town, make a big deal, right? He, you know, smiles and does his thing and then moves on. And then a little bit later, this guy comes up and he goes, hey, you don't know this, but those kids were about to go do drugs and they heard your music and they came and you changed them and they, they stopped. They didn't do it. KJ is like, wow, man, even when I'm not even in it, the Lord's in it and he's doing work through me even when I don't feel it. Apparently kept in contact with one of those kids. The kid got involved in the church in Seattle. A couple months later, his dad died. The church took care of him. Kid got his life around. Let's talk about Scribble Jam. Okay, so Scribble Jam is a big uh, freestyle and rap battle competition. It's it's not a Christian one. It's mainstream. Eminem, in 1996, entered it and lost in the finals to this guy, Juice. That's how Eminem got signed is because of that rap battle. So it still gave him exposure, even though he lost. Right. So after he wrote Dear Slim, but before he recorded the video, KJ was really sharpening his battle skills. And KJ talks about Christian rap battle, because that might seem like a weird concept to you. He wants wants you to know that like he had issues with the idea of Christian rap battle, because you're insulting your opponent, and that's not very Christianly. I mean, you could uplift Um, them in a forward style you you still have to clown on them right otherwise it's not a rap battle you're doing it because you love them and they're your brother or sister in christ you're doing it with love 
so he went to this pastor at a hip hop church, like the first hip hop church in Florida. This guy was like, they hit you, you hit them back, but you know, just don't cuss. And so he gave him a battle plan and he went out there. KJ likens it to like a boxer. It's not okay. It's not Christianly to walk up to somebody and punch them in the face. Yeah, I mean, you but, can't do like a, like a, just like a sneaky jab. Like you keep it, you know, above a belt. You keep it right. like it. If there's rules, then it can be a competitive sport. KJ really gets into rap battle. That competitive aspect of hip hop is something that really appeals to him. It appealed to him back when he was with the G Force Posse. It appealed to him as a Christian. He starts going to these secular rap battles. He and his rhyme partner, Golden Child, just were winning every night. They'd diss you, they'd clown on you, and they'd pick you up, dust you off, and they'd spread the word. And that was like their rep. And they just, they just would win night after night to the point where a local radio station gave him a job hosting the rap battle. So now he's not, so, he's just hosting them now. But he's still competing. So he's like, I want to enter Scribble Jam, this big rap competition, and no Christian's ever entered it, right? You have to submit a tape of you doing freestyle, and you have to be selected. There's like 16 people who get selected. He gets selected, and he decides he's going to change it up for the competition, and he's going to go in there, and he's going to tell them about the Lord first, and then he's going to get into his stuff. Got knocked out in the first round. Got clowned on, got upset about it, went home started blogging on his website about how unfair it was and he got tore up by the rap community both the christian rap community and the mainstream rap community were, were like you don't complain about this you can't just go in there and disrespect us not play by the rules that we have and he and he actually kind of loosed to that and says that was a learning lesson for him he learned a lesson there you know at this point in his career he's getting heat for Dear Slim, he's getting heat for Scribble Jam. He is like the center of controversy in both Christian and main, mainstream underground rap. His labels dropped him again, but he keeps winning double awards. So let's talk about the double awards, though, because KJ has a history with the double awards. Can you can you give a backstory? So brief, like elevator speech. What are the double awards? The Dev Awards are the Christian equivalent to the Grammys. We've talked about them a little bit. KJ has six of them. But before he ever won one, KJ went to the Dev Awards about 1996-1997 with a press ID badge that had a woman's name on it that he acquired. So he sneaks into the Dev Awards. Somebody gets him someone else's press badge. And he sneaks in, which, first off, that's not very Christianly, right? Like, and he said he did it because he wanted to get food because he was hungry, because he was poor, because he had given all his money to making his career happen. He wanted to slip his demo to as many people as he could. At that point, he wanted to win a double award. He wanted to get to the point where he was recognized by his peers for what he does. Just sounds like the totally wrong way to go about it. So he sneaks in under false pretenses right. with the intention of winning an award at the same award show <laughs> later later, later not not, that, yeah. yeah so a little more context rap in the 90s did not have its own devil award it shared a devil award with dance music rappers like real rappers 
didn't win Dev Awards. Toby Mac won Dev Awards as part of DC Talk. In 2002, they separated it and rap got its own category. Okay. And when that happened, KJ started winning Dev Awards. And then by the time he won his fourth or his fifth one, Lecrae was coming up. And we've talked a little bit about Lecrae. For the audience, Lecrae is a huge Christian rapper. If it helps to draw those comparisons that Marissa loves so much, you could kind of think of him as like a Christian Kendrick Lamar. The way that Lecrae fits in the story is that Lecrae was coming up. He just released a very successful debut album that in all ways exceeded KJ's record that year in terms of sales, in terms of critical reviews, radio play, better record. KJ even admits this, right? But KJ wins. But when he receives the award, there's been some kind of mistake and they don't have his name printed on the award. They say, hey, you can keep the award. We'll send you one with the, the plaque. We'll send you it. a label in the mail that you can stick on. You would think that's what they would do, but no. According to KJ, they were like, we're just going to send you a, a whole other award and then you can send this one back. So they send him the new award like a month later, but then they're like, but you know what? Just keep that blank one. Like a week later, he gets another blank one in the mail. Just out of nowhere. They sent him another blank dove So they award. didn't even print his name and he gets a second. So at this point he has two blank dove awards with no name right. on them. So then he takes those dove awards to a trophy store and he gets Lecrae's name printed on both of them. And he oh. gives them and he gives them the category of song of the year and album of the year. And he sends those awards to Lecrae with a message that says, Hey. I just want you to know whether you win a double award or not. I appreciate you. I know what it's like to struggle. That's kind of like the whole vibe, right? Mm -hmm. So Lecrae's touched by it. He starts working with Lecrae and recording some songs with Lecrae. And they do a couple of things. So it's kind of a good story. KJ says he doesn't even care about his double awards. He doesn't, his wife put him on the mantle once. He thinks he has one like in his garage. But he said he picked one up and it's the first time he picked it up in years and the bottom fell off of it. <laughs> And he said that he thought that that was symbolism for the Christian music industry about how the bottom was falling out of it. KJ had a lot of haters. KJ had a lot of haters, both in Christian and mainstream rap. People would call him out, especially in Christian rap. They'd call him out in the songs and they would diss him in songs. It was getting to KJ, but he decided to pray on it and deal with it the Christianly way, like the Bible teaches you. He went to everybody who said anything about him. And, he, and he, he was just like, hey, I just want to talk to you about this. Can we have a conversation about this? Can you come to me and, and instead of doing it in a song? So he says that he squashed all his beefs because he would just be direct with people. And then people stopped talking trash about him. Are you ready to talk about Bill Cosby's bathroom? His bathroom? Chapter 20, Bill Cosby's bathroom. Your boy KJ was playing these shows throughout the early 2000s that were like, a motivational seminar. It sounds like mainly for rich people. Uh, Easy to get motivated when you're rich. It wasn't specifically and explicitly Christian, but there was like some like faith-based undertones, right? Also playing these shows was Bill Cosby. Bill, this is before all of his legal troubles. That's how KJ says it in the book. He's playing these motivational shows. Bill Cosby, before his legal troubles, also doing these shows. And KJ's job was to go up there, keep the crowd warm, and then Bill would come out. He was Bill Cosby's hype man? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, KJ. Shows, uh, there was a carpet on the stage, a rug. 
And he's like, can we move this rug? And they're like, no, nah, dance on it, do whatever you want with it, but you can't move it. It has to be there. And the reason why the rug had to be there is because Bill Cosby was losing his eyesight and he used it as a cue to know where he was on the stage so he didn't fall off. KJ never really a- interacted with Bill Cosby. First couple of these shows that they did, right? He would be on stage doing his show. He'd finish his show. He'd introduce Cosby. Then he'd go and he'd pass Cosby as he was going, right? And that was their only interaction, like the first two or three times they did this. Then like the fourth one that they're doing, uh, KJ and Golden Child are late coming from another tour and they haven't taken a shower. So they need to get cleaned up. So they hop into this bathroom and they're supposed to meet Bill Cosby for the first time because Bill wants to talk to him and he's cleaning up. And this time he didn't know it was Bill Cosby's private dressing room bathroom. Uh, Golden Child leaves. He's getting cleaned up. He's getting ready to leave the bathroom and he hears voices. And it's Bill Cosby talking to someone. They're talking about KJ because he's supposed to be meeting KJ. KJ is like, man, I'm going to have to try to explain this. And thought, like he slips out the bathroom right as he's like trying to creep off. The other person notices is KJ. They're like, oh, there he is now. KJ, come over here. They're talking and KJ thinks he's, he, he, he's, you know, gotten away with it. And Bill Cosby's telling him he likes his music. He thinks that KJ needs to get on TV and have his own show, a sitcom on the WB network. <laughs> Remember WB? He specifically says it has to be WB. Yes. Yes. And, and afterwards, Bill Cosby's like, oh, one more thing. Were you just in my bathroom? Then later, like a, a couple of years later, he's, Bill Cosby is talking to another Christian artist. And she, this Christian artist is friends with KJ. And she's like, yeah, I think you know my friend KJ. Bill Cosby brought up the bathroom story. KJ tells these stories while also reminding you that this was before his current legal troubles. And he says that probably six times in this chapter. But at the same time, he has to because he wrote a song about that experience, which you which you discovered on our last KJ episode. So he has to explain that song. He can't just have a, co- a song about Bill Cosby. Last thing I want to talk about with this book is, did you know KJ held a Guinness World Record? After the record label portion of his career where he's indie producing everything, A friend of his who's a Christian rapper got sick, cancer, couldn't afford to pay the medical bills. KJ had an idea to help his friend pay for medical bills, which was to raise money by setting a Guinness world record for freestyling. That never happened. The aforementioned Lecrae also knows this guy and he posted, hey, we got to raise money for this guy on his Twitter account. And within like three hours, they had enough money to pay us. KJ's like, oh man, okay, well, I still want to do this world record. So he's talking in the story about how the singles world record is like seven hours. And he was like, I don't think I can freestyle by myself for seven hours. <laughs> and the group record is 12 hours. And you can have as many people as you want. He puts together this crew of like, I think it was five core rappers, four guys and a girl. They would 
each hold down an hour and then they would do an hour of of group rap together and then they would just cycle until they got the record it worked great and once they wrote the record and they knew that they had it they invited other people onto the stage to do little snippets of freestyle so they could also be included in the record and at this point kj says that's why he wanted to do a team record was to share the credit so that god got the glory that the glory didn't just go to him they did it for 14 hours. They did a freestyle rap and they set the group record for freestyle. Can we listen to this freestyle anywhere? I will tell you, he includes a clip of it, like his solo part in the soundtrack to the What Happened Was book. No, I want to hear the full... 14 hours? 14 yeah. hours. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta. We got to contact KJ. KJ, send us that tape. So that's it. There's a few other stories in the book that we didn't talk about. I don't think we're going to do a part three, but I have an appreciation for KJ that I think um, doesn't exist with a lot of the other people that we talk about on this show. KJ is just a very, this is how it is. You don't have to like me. Um, if you don't like me, I'm going to tell you about it. But yeah, I think, I think you nail it on the head there. I think KJ is probably pretty chill to hang out with. I would probably kick it with KJ. You know, get get a uh, slice of za with him. Yeah, I mean, uh, play some Call of Duty or something. He seems Call like a Duty, gamer, yeah. right? He does kind of. I'm gonna just put yeah. this out there, KJ. If you're in the Pacific Northwest again, I know you have some mixed feelings about this area. We'll say a prayer to ward off all the warlocks. That might be. We want you to appreciate the Northwest. But if you do have a blank devil ward, Marissa would like it. <laughs> Seriously, KJ, she will take the one that's broken, the one that the bottom fell off of. Marissa will take it. She'll fix it. Yeah, I'll fix it. I, I guarantee that at least one of his double words, person giving him the award goes, KJ 52. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love talking about KJ. I think he's just so fun. He seems very down to earth. Yeah, like I, he, he could probably listen to this and he'd be okay with it. He's like, he's like, I am what I am. You know, like me or not, this is what you get. I would say Matt Thiessen has that vibe too. Yeah, damn. From Ryan K. I want to, um, I want to chill with Matt Thiessen. <laughs> Matt Thiessen gets high. Let's go to Tennessee and chill <laughs> with Matt Thiessen. Or he can come here where it's legal. Yeah, that's true. We could we could take a road trip, go to Tennessee, then go down to Florida and chill with our boy KJ on the beach. Um, I've never been to Florida, but uh, have been to Tennessee, let me tell you. <laughs> Way different than Pacific Northwest. Oh, man, I just remembered a story in this that I forgot to talk about. Do it. Let's do it. Are you ready? Yes. In Chapter 21, I agree to disagree. KJ talks about his denomination. He's a member of the Assemblies of God, AG, Pentecostal, the real deal. Speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, snake handling, all that. There's some pretty conservative uh, factions to that denomination. He did a big AG show, was doing his thing, wearing his AG faith on his sleeve. The grandson of Jimmy Swagger, famed televangelist, started calling him out, saying... KJ52 specifically was satanic and that Christian hip hop was a sin before the Lord and that it was a new cart. The, if you know this, the story from the Old Testament on the new cart with Moses and the tablet, he, he called KJ52 a new cart and saying that it was a satanic message packaged as Christianity. Pretty brutal. Your boy KJ got mad. 
I mean, he's basically saying he's <laughs> Satan and this is evil. I <laughs> I would say he has a right to get mad. And this is not like Toby Mac, where it's just like he has eyeballs. Fans with eyeballs. This is a leader of the church that you belong to saying that you are evil. But your boy KJ being who KJ is, he goes to him, he writes him a letter. And he connects to him, the direct message, I believe, connects with him. And he says, hey, I don't necessarily agree with everything you agree with. Can we meet and talk? They talk. KJ shares his perspective, pulls up the scripture, supports his point of view with the scripture. Swagger's just not buying it. They agree to disagree, walk separate ways. Then like seven years later, Swagger's like, all right, KJ's not Satan. And KJ says that, He'd message him. He like took a picture of a shopping cart and said, hey, look, I got a new cart. And he'd just do all this like wink, wink stuff with him until he warmed over to him. And that's just how KJ is. That's how he's going to be. KJ52 could write a how to stay Christian in college book. He could have actual strategies to, to have conversations with people who disagree with you, both in the faith and outside of the faith. Can KJ connect with people? Yeah, that's what he does. An underlying theme of this autobiography is when people shit on him, he knows how to deal with it. So, I, yeah, I mean, for real, K, KJ, write a book and we'll read it and we'll probably like it. If I was going to give a book to a, a Christian kid going off into the world, I would give him what happened was. It, it'll teach you how to deal with warlocks. KJ, if you want to if you want to call in, you know, we'll listen. We'll hang out. For sure. We love you, KJ. We'll get you pizza. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Definitely. It was fun as always.